What's the year? What's the word of the year? <laughs> Amen. And what's the temporary name of New Destiny Christian Center? <laughs> New Destiny Activation Center. Amen. Activation is what we've been teaching on all year long, and we still got a little bit of ways to go for it. But you know, God has done such tremendous things in the last week or two. Uh, the thing that has stood out to me and that I've been saying over and over again, you always have to be careful when you're talking about activation or really anything that you don't get excited about it but then never do it. Okay, activation's an action. Not an action just on our part, it's an action on your part. That when you begin to do, that's when you are activated. Does that make sense? And so activation is something that's powerful if it's something that we do. So I've got a lot of them to review here. So we're going to get going on it right away. The first word that we went over was aspiration. Aspiration. Right? You have to aspire to do something if you're ever really going to do something. There's something about having a desire to do something more than you're doing now. Right? And an aspiration, a desire, a, a belief that, 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 that God can use you and, or that you can be a, a financial entrepreneur that God can use in that area. Whatever area it is in your life, you have to have a dream. You have to allow yourself to dream. Children are easy to talk about their dreams. Adults are very difficult. When you ask an adult, someone's 35, 40 years old or older, you ask them about their dreams and they tend to talk, talk about the dreams they had more than the dreams they have. So aspiration, dream big, believe God to do something. The second word was commission. Right? Commissioning is something that's important. When we step out beyond our sphere, when we, on our own, begin to step beyond where we're supposed to be. And so in the Bible, it was very clear that they would commission them. They would lay their hands on them and they would say, God sends you into this area or that area, whatever it may be, that there was a, an anointing that would come on them and a power that would come on them. And so when you talk about commissioning, it has a lot to do with order. Okay? And something that's very important that we understand. Right? We have to go, we have to preach, and we have to get people saved. Timing was the next word. Timing is critical. Right? There's a season for everything. And so you have to understand the timing of God, your timing, the timing of the, 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 what's going on around you, right? And timing deals with past, future, and present. You can't do anything about your past. You repent of it, you move on. If you had opportunities that were missed, you can't fix those. Your past is your past. Your future is in front of you. But the only thing you really control is your present. And if we grab today and we do, Today, what we're supposed to do, our future then is in God's hands and he helps us. Amen? Amen? Initiative is the next word. You have to have some initiative, right? Initiative is, is having some gumption. It's a word you don't hear very often anymore. You've got to have a little bit of gumption in you. Right? Initiative means you've got to be willing to step out and do something. You've you got to, you, you know, there, there was a, a, my, my cousin, Victor. I don't know where he's at. Victor. He uh, used to work for my dad a little bit. And the thing that he... Uh, my dad said that he liked about Victor is if, he, if my dad was doing something, Victor was a young guy at the time, he, Victor would go, let me, let me do that. I'll figure it out. I'll, me, train me how to do that. I want to do it. He had some initiative to want to learn, some initiative to want to do something. Right? So in the area of activation, you have to have that kind of initiative that's going to cause you to want to step out and take a risk and take a chance. Right? Yes, 
The next word that we went over is vision. Without a vision, the people Okay? Without a vision, you just begin to die. It's a slow process. Visions what causes you to get up in the morning, that you see yourself in the future, something that's going on. Believe God to begin to get you to that place. The next word was action. Right? Over and over again, I've said activation equals action. You have to begin to do something. You have to step out. Action is a verb. We talked about three things. Stand, speak, and go. Okay, stand, speak, and go. Now today's word is treasure. Treasure. And I love this one. Treasure. The point of activation is not to go ver further than you should go right now. Okay? It's to operate in the fullness of where you are right now. All right? So if you look at a, 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 a say, a 12-year-old kid that's playing football, he's not going to be able to do the same thing as a kid that's in high school playing football. But you want to train him to go as far as he can go for where he's at right now, right? It's the same thing with activation. We want to activate you to be able to step as far as you can step right now and to begin to operate in the fullness of where you are. You can't go past your training. You can't go past your anointing level. You can't go past your, your sphere of influence. But when you, when you activate and step fully into where you are, you can begin to do something powerful. And then to get you to operate in that place so that in the future you'll find that you, you can spread and do more. Luke chapter number 6. Luke chapter number 6 and verse number 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, so when we're talking about being able to activate, you're trying to activate your heart when it's good. There's a treasure that's there, and you can begin to activate it out into it. Activation unleashes treasure. Activation unleashes treasure. Now I want to look at three treasures. You know, one of these days I'm going to have four points just to see if anyone catches it. <laughs> I want to look at three treasures, three areas of treasure. The first one is the Word. The Word is the greatest treasure that we have on earth. It's a gift that as Americans we don't even understand sometimes because it's never been taken away from us. We've never not had it. Most of us have a phone that has a Bible app on it that has 15, 20 different versions of the Bible. You can look it up on the Internet. You know, it, 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 I can remember when I was younger and I was beginning to preach, when I would study, you know, I had to have a concordance, that big blue book, right, a Strong's Concordance. And so if I wanted to look up a scripture, I'd have to, to get a word, and then I'd have to go to the big blue book and go down that thing and then let's see which one is it. Which, and then I had to go over to the Bible and open it up to that one. It was, a, it was a lot of work that was there. Today, you just pick up your phone and you go, Siri, where's the scripture that says out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks? And it goes, whoop. Psalms 119.105, your word. As a lamp to my feet 
and a light to my path. Right? See, the Word activates truth in our lives. The Word's what activates truth because the Word of God is the only infallible truth that we have. It's the only one. So what the psalmist is saying here is your word is a lamp into my feet. In other words, when, when God's word is preceding you, when you are studying and reading it, it, it helps you to understand where you're stepping. What are you doing? The word will help point out landmines. It'll, it'll point out dangers. It'll, it'll point out paths that are advantageous for you to take. The word has to be the center of your life. And as Americans, we become quite lazy in the word. Because we don't understand the treasure of what he has. One of, the, one of the best small pieces that I got out of an early, long, long time ago biography that I read was a guy that was thrown in prison um, after the end of World War II. And he was in Bulgaria or one of those countries over there. And the, the uh, communist Russians came in and they threw him in prison because he was a pastor. And they took the word of God from him. And he said that for... I think it was something like a year or two years, he had to sit in a cell and repent before God because he didn't memorize more of the word. And when it was taken away, he began to realize over time and over abuse and beatings and those kind of things, how much of the word was pulled out of his life. The word, the word. Right now in Finland, how many of you know about the trial that's going on in Finland? Anybody know about that? In Finland, there's a trial that's going on right now. Now, Finland's not a, it, it's not a crazy country. It's a Western country. And in Finland, there's a, there's a pastor that literally is in a criminal trial, criminal trial, because he believes in the word, that they want to throw him in prison. They said, well, we don't care if you're a Christian. We just don't want you to follow the word. The word is assaulted every day in America. And we ignore it and we don't follow it and we don't pay attention to it. And sometimes that's because we don't realize just how important the word is. I mean, I, I don't look forward to the day that they come and take my guns, but I really don't look forward to the day they come and try and take my Bibles. The word. Psalms 119.11 Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Yes. Ephesians 6.17 It says, and take the helmet of salvation. We were talking about the, the, uh, the uh, armor of God. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is the sword by which you fight. Yes. The Word of God is the sword by which you fight against the wiles of the devil, against the enemy when he tries to come. It's the Word of God. When you understand and begin to read the Word of God and assaults come upon your life, if you if you take the word and use it, Jesus, when he was tempted of the devil, after 40 days of fasting, he was hungry. I love that part of the Bible. I thought, well, what else would he be? I'm hungry after 48 hours of fasting. 40 days he didn't eat, and the devil came and tempted him at his weakest point. And Jesus is in that place. He's hungry. He's probably hangry. And the devil comes and says, take the rock and turn it into bread. You can do it. I know you can do it. Uh -huh. And the temptation that was there, it was one of the greatest temptations. And yet Jesus had to say, no, no. And he used the word to defeat the enemy. See, it's the word that defeats the enemy of your soul. 
It's the Word. It's not, it's not church. It's not your friends. It's not your family. It's not what you think in your head. It's the Word of God as it's written. And when we quote the Word, we overcome the devil. The Word of God is so vital. It's such a tremendous and powerful treasure. The Word. See, the Word's your sword, not your intellect. The word is your sword, not your intellect. You cannot outthink God. And sometimes we allow our intellect, when we run into problems, we allow our logic, our thought process, or what's going on. Well, you know, Pastor, it's not that way anymore. I don't care what way it is. I know the word is truth. It's not your wisdom. You cannot outwisdom the word. One of the treasures is that, that we have to understand it's a treasure and begin to work for is the souls of men and women. The soul of men and women. The soul of men and women. It's a treasure. See, souls activate an army. The word activates truth. Souls activate an army. Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. See, the souls of men and women are the most valuable thing. I always say the commodity in heaven is not gold. He paves the street with it. It's not pearls. He makes gates out of them. All the things that we treasure here on earth have nothing to do with heaven. Souls is the commodity in heaven. It's the souls of men and women. It's the reason that we exist. It's the reason that we don't get saved and die so we can go to heaven. The reason we're here is to win souls. It says in Proverbs uh, 1130, it says, the, The fruit of righteousness is the tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. If you truly want to be wise, win souls. It should be the number one directive in our lives as Christians to win souls. Jesus, he said, the reason he came, for this reason I came, to seek and save that which is lost. He's looking for the souls of men and women. He's looking for people that are lost and dying and undone, that they have no chance, no opportunity. I don't care if they're rich or if they're poor. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what their education level is. None of that stuff matters. The souls of men and women are the commodity of heaven. He looks for souls that when we go and we reach out and we help somebody and we touch somebody and we tell them about the love of Jesus and we tell them Jesus wants to save you. Never mistake good deeds for winning souls. Never substitute good deeds for winning souls. There's a difference that's there. We're supposed to help, we're supposed to feed them, we're supposed to love on them, we're supposed to help them, we're supposed to clothe them, visit them in prison. All those things are important, but never substitute good works for winning souls. What is winning souls? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He bled. He hung there willingly so that you could be forgiven of your sins. It's bringing people to the place of salvation. They could be fed, they could be clothed, they could be warm and still end up in hell. You got to throw the net. 
and pull them in. See, when souls are important, it takes away your own feeling of, well, I don't want to offend somebody. Because the greatest offense that will ever be is on that day of judgment. When they say, you were a Christian and you didn't tell me. Why didn't you tell me? Well, I let my little light shine. Well, I missed your little light. See, you've got to throw the net. When you understand that souls are the greatest treasure, why are souls so important? Well, first of all, they were important enough for the blood of Jesus. But even beyond that, the thing I love about being able to witness and talk to people about Jesus and seeing them come to Christ is whatever they are at that particular moment, whatever sins have drenched their life, whatever, whatever has happened, all the pains that are there, that you can begin to see how Jesus begins to come in and take those things and just pull them aside. And there's a new life that can come forth. See, the whole point of people getting saved is there's a change. See, we're supposed to change. Right? When I got saved, my life changed. Many of you, I've known you. I know when you came in and you got saved, and I know what you are today. And there's such a drastic change. Because when we win souls, you then turn around and become a soul winner. When you're saved, then you begin to go out and get, saved, get other people saved, to give them an opportunity. See, win souls. Tell people about Jesus. But don't be afraid to set the hook. Don't be afraid to set the line. Win them. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. I know, but the idea of a fish in the, mouth, in the mouth of the fish is no hook and stuff. I just set that baby. Give me a big one, Jesus. Ah, give me a good one. Pull him in. All right? <laughs> All right, number three, this is where I wanted to, to plant this morning a little bit more. The greatest treasure that you have in your life is hidden inside of you. See, the treasure inside of you unlocks the gifts of God that are inside of you. There are treasures that are hidden deep down inside of us. They've been buried, they've, they've been covered up, and how do you do that? First thing you have to do is you have to understand and know, you have to come to an understanding there's treasure inside of you. There's not one person that God ever made that he made a mistake. He did not make a mistake. You say, well, I know, but, but God made me this way and that's not good. He did not make a mistake. He made you. He designed you. He sat at the architect table in heaven and drew you out. He made your personality. He spent time. He made you with a purpose and with a plan. And inside there is a treasure that is hidden. Sometimes it's buried with the, 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 the problems of life, the, 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 the uh, emotions that begin to come involved, the hurts that we have over the years. Right? I love talking to little kids because sometimes I'll ask them little questions about themselves, and kids are so open. Right? There's just an openness that's about them. There's an innocence that's there. And when we get older, it's not because we become wiser, but that innocence becomes clouded. 
That there's, there's a gift that God puts on in, inside of every one of us. And over time, it's almost as if that gift gets covered. And then the debris of life begins to be set on top of that. And things begin to be piled on it. And things begin to happen to cause us. You have to believe that inside of you, God put a treasure. It's there. I can tell you like I know my eyes are blue. There is a treasure inside each and every one of you. And when you unlock that treasure you'll begin to be one that can unlock the treasures of others. See, part of it is you have to get to the, and Angel and I talk about it all the time, your identity in Christ. You are, if you're born again, you are a child of God. A son or a daughter of God. Right? When Lisa comes to my house, she doesn't say, Pop, I'm thirsty. Can I get a, something out of the refrigerator to drink? She's my daughter. She goes to the food fridge and eats my leftovers that I wanted. <laughs> and then I go, what happened to that? Oh, I ate it. <laughs> I was hungry. When you're a child of God and you begin to understand who you are, you're his child. His refrigerator is not off limits to you. It sounds like a weird kind of thing to say about God, but it's the absolute truth. God's not up in heaven saying, oh, no, you can't have this gift. No, I saved that for everybody else. You, you're a child of God. And when you begin to identify with who you are, you begin to change. That when you understand that when he died on the cross, one of the things that happened is he was had a, had a crown of thorns that was placed on his head, and those thorns were like two and three inches long. I've seen those thorns. I think Pastor Teresa has some in the back for, that are from Israel, and they took that thing, and they drove it into his head, and he would begin to bleed from the brow of his head. And the reason he did that is so that we can have an understanding that he suffered even in his head, that there is a, 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 a sacrifice that was made, that we don't have to put up with depression. We don't have to put up with oppression. We don't have to put up with the things of the world and they say oh it's just the world it's the way it is today no you're a child of God you're a son you're a daughter of God and when you take the the price that Jesus has paid and you understand he paid that price for me that I don't have to suffer in my thoughts and in my mind and in my emotions anymore that I can begin to walk this thing through and then I can take the blood of Jesus that was shed for me and apply them to my life and begin to walk out of that pain now, it's a process, but you can walk out of that pain. But you have to understand you're a child of God. And identify with who you are. Your identity is in Christ. One of the greatest thoughts on earth is that the devil does not want you to find out who you are. It's his greatest fear. He doesn't want you to know who you are. He wants you to think of yourself as a slug. In the old days, they used to preach it more often than they do to today. But they, they used to all, always preach things like, well, you know, I'm just suffering for Jesus. I could just picture, you know, I call it worm theology. I'm just a lonely worm. 
I suck dirt all day and try to get some nutrients out of it. I'm not worthy of anything, Lord. You're a child of God. You're a prince. Or you're a princess. You're worthy to put your shoulders back and say, Jesus died for me. I accepted him as my son. I don't have to tolerate sickness and pain and disease. I don't have, I, I know that there's trials in the world. I know that there's sufferings. I know that there's things, but I'm a child of God and I can stand tall knowing that I'm his son and that he's, I'm worthy to be called his son. You have to know that there's treasure in there because if you don't know that there's treasure buried inside of you, you'll never go get it. You'll never go get it. Second thing is you have to be willing to invest to get that treasure out. You have to be willing to invest to get that treasure out. See, the good treasures are buried deep. I had a, a friend of mine that uh, he was uh, South African and he uh, worked in, the, in the, the diamond mines. And he said that when you go to South Africa in the diamond mines, you'd get in an elevator and you'd go sometimes a mile deep into the ground. Why? Because that's where the diamonds were. There's not very many of them that are spread out on the... Right? When I go to my house, I don't walk around like this going, let's see if I got some gold laying out on the... Right? The gold's down underneath. The gold on the inside of you is buried. It's, it's deep inside of you. And so you've got to be willing to do what it takes to go in there and get it. Right? The debris of life that covers it, your failures... Anybody in here ever failed in anything? Good Lord. But if we're not careful, our failures, instead of being a springboard to success, become the very thing that buries the treasure on the inside of us. Instead of saying, I learned how not to do it, we begin to say, I'm never doing that again. Hurts. Anyone ever been hurt? How about church hurt? You ever been hurt in church? Had something happen that wasn't right? Downright painful, hurtful, wrong. Right? It's, it's wherever there's people, there's hurts. I mean, I, I'd love to tell you that at New Destiny Christian Center, you will never be hurt. All I can assure you is this. At New Destiny Christian Center, at least for me, because I, I can only talk for myself, I will never hurt you on purpose. And if you come to me and say, Pastor, that hurt, I'll say, I'm sorry, I don't intend to hurt you. Okay, that's the best I can offer you because I'm a human just like you are. All right, but hurts happen in church. But the sad thing is when people get hurt in church and then they leave church and say, that's not God. And they miss the very thing God wants to do in their life. Christianity void of church isn't, well, don't do it. I'll end up preaching a whole other sermon if I go there. All right, so our insecurities tend to cause us to bury the treasure that's on the inside of us. All right, what if I get hurt? What if I fail? What if people leave me? Fear. You know, when you step out and do something for God, genuine, real fear begins to rise up on the inside. Genuine, real fear begins to rise up. But God could overcome those things. You have to understand it's in there. See, mining's not cheap. 
Mining's not something that's cheap. And if you're going to go in there and get the gold on the inside of you, you got to mine for it. You got to get in there and mine for it. What's it going to cost you? One thing it'll cost you is your time. It costs you your time. Right? If you want to go inside and, and get the gold out, you got to be willing to spend time doing all kinds of things. Things like reading, studying. Wow, it's getting real quiet in here. <laughs> you know one of the, the, the greatest assaults upon kids that came out? These game things. See, just you know how old I am because I call it a game thing. <laughs> and not that, not that there's anything wrong with them. That's not what I'm saying. But they can spend hour upon hour upon hour, day after day, day after day, week after week. And the whole goal is what? To play a game. Right? I'm not saying there's something wrong with the games. I'm saying that they're substituting their ability to learn and grow with that. Adults are the same way though. You know, I don't know too many adults to play the games, but how many of you do Netflix? Oh, I'm going to have to preach online next week. I saw two hands. I thought, oh, Jesus, forgive them, Lord. Forgive them, Lord. Maybe they didn't hear me. Right? But I mean, we trade. There's nothing, you know, there's some good stuff on Netflix. You can watch some good movies on there. Don't watch the other ones. You can watch some good ones. Right? But when we trade hours of our time, and then say, I don't have time to do what really changes me. See, if you're going to mine the gold on the inside of you, it's going to take some time. We use an excuse all the time. It says in Ecclesiastes 10.10, 10, If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. In other words, in your life, there are times you have to stop and sharpen your axe. I know, but if I stop cutting, then I'm not cutting. But if you stop, sharpen the axe, you'll cut more. It's wisdom, okay? But it takes time to be able to do it. I, I've been telling everybody, you ought to go to the Bible college. I'm teaching one of the, one of the, one of the uh, classes this year. I'm really enjoying it. But you ought to go to the Bible college. Why? Because you'll learn what you don't know. I had somebody say, I know, but some of the things in there might not be exactly right. All right, well, then go to whatever, Westchester University and see if they teach you everything that's right. <laughs> but the lessons that you get are fabulous. One of the greatest things about my life was when I got saved, I went to church far too much. Like six times a week. And, 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 and I say far too much, but it, it was like a a long college class of, of learning the things that, that sometimes we don't get today. Because most Christians go to church once, right? I said it before, they, they now consider, whoever the experts are, whoever the experts are now consider you, you to be a committed Christian if you go to church at least once a month. Once a month. You are a committed Christian. <laughs> that got the most stir in the whole thing I've said today. 
Okay, and so the, the problem is if that's all you get, then you don't really grow. Okay, so I tell you, go to Bible college. It'll cost you a little bit of time. It's one night a week. Well, I'm not counting the stuff you do on your own. I see you one night a week. <laughs> what you do on your time is yours. <laughs> right? But it, it's, it, it's an investment in you. Right? And you can begin to learn. You can begin to study. and You can begin to get in there. And they have a great time. They, they get together. They have fun. They yeah. do the things they do. But that's on you. All right? Books. We got a couple of good books out here in the lobby somewhere that are for sale. But what are you willing to invest in in your life? Right? When you, when you drive down the road, how many of you drive more than 10 minutes to get to work and back? Right? And how much time do we waste, me included, during that drive? When we can invest in ourselves, when we can listen to something that will help us to grow, that will help us to be able to, to, to become more than we are today. Right? When, when, when I really was struggling a lot financially and it was just hard and I never could seem to get ahead, the one thing I hated to do more than anything else was study about money. I hated it. It made me mad. I'd listen to these preachers that would preach faith and I'd get mad, stomping mad. Like throw stuff out the window mad. <laughs> they can't relate to me. I mean, it would, it would just... And then, you know, people would say, well, you should get on a budget. So I'd, I'd get a book about budgets. And it'd make me mad. Because <laughs> I'd say, if I had that much money, it'd be easy to do a budget. <laughs> right? And, and so, so I wouldn't study and I wouldn't learn because I, I couldn't figure out that I needed to know what I don't know. But it was in those processes of being frustrated but staying in there and learning that I put in me the stuff that I would need to know. And I learned and I grew because of it. See, sometimes the very things that frustrate you the most are the things that you've got to get in there and begin to study. But it takes time. It takes effort. It takes investment. You've got to buy books. You gotta, you gotta get, the thing that we've learned at New Destiny Christian Center, we don't charge for much. Right? That's not something that we do. We're charging for this seminar. We're not. The people that are putting it are on, it's what, $39? I mean, $39. That's just for the day. You can come Thursday night. You can come Friday night for completely for free. Okay? And the tent we're putting out there is a 200. Well, it'll fit 300, but we're putting a platform about 250 people. Big tent. Okay? With the praise and worship band out there, they're bringing the whole works. We're going to get in there and do it and win souls. All right? But people say, I know, but, but how come I have to pay the $39? Can't I go for free? I'm going to, I want to help you with something. I can pay your way, but you won't get anything out of it. Because if you're not willing to invest $39 in something that will set you free, then you probably won't be free anyway. And then if you want to get free, if you want to get the treasure inside of you, if you really want to do it, the next thing you got to do is you got to begin to dig. And you know, when I work construction, the thing that I hated to do almost as much as anything is to dig. When your dad's a bricklayer and you're growing up, you learn how to work a shovel at a young age. You, you, you learn what it is to get, and how to use it. Right? And when you watch somebody that really knows how to use a shovel, 
thing art, they make it look easy. All right? But in order to, to get to the gold that's on the inside of you, you have to get in there and you have to begin to dig. You've got to get a shovel and begin to move the debris out of the way. You've got to begin to put your back into it. I know, Pastor, but when you use a shovel, you get blisters. Well, we'll give you a pair of gloves. It'll take you longer to get blisters. You'll still get them. But if you're willing to dig, you've got to put in the work. If you want the treasure that's on the inside of you, if you want to activate the very gifts and the things that God put on the inside of you, you have to stop looking for the easy road and be willing to do the work that it takes. The people that you look at in life and that you admire, that you say, man, they, they've got something. They're doing something. I'm not talking about these silly Hollywood stars. They don't have nothing. I'm talking about people that have accomplished things in their lives. Those people invested their time. They worked. They took risk. They were willing to pick up a shovel and they were willing to dig. And when their friends were all out playing and doing what they wanted to do, they were willing to be in there shoveling, working on something, trying to get something done. Right? What are the a shovel? It removes the debris. How does it do it? One of them is through fellowship. If you want to find that treasure and use that shovel in your life, you need to begin to fellowship. Why? Because it'll begin to help you to sort stuff out. Isolation is a work of the enemy. Isolation is a work of the enemy. Whenever anybody I've known in all the years that I've been pastoring begins to go through troubles and trials, they immediately start to separate themselves from the people of God. It happens 100% of the time. When you separate, see, when you fellowship, what happens is it begins to regulate your thoughts. Because you go up to Aaron and you go, Aaron, I got a revelation today. You know what? And you say something dumb and Aaron goes, I don't think that's God. Can you show me that in the Bible? No, I can't show you in the Bible, but the Lord showed me. And Aaron, being a good Christian that he is, and a brother that loves you in the Lord, says, if it ain't in there, it ain't him. And so fellowship helps regulate you. It helps keep you straight. We also learn from each other. When we say, God showed me this in the Word today. There's a learning and something that happens. Isolation kills. And, and, and this is just kind of a side note, but you know the, the whole trend of, I have lots of friends, they're just all online. That friend can't smell your bad breath. That friend can't, can't get in there and do it. They, they can't, it, it, that's not what I'm talking about. Jesus' fellowship was huge. That's why Jesus was constantly going. The disciples were the disciples. Why? They followed him. They didn't follow him on Facebook. They actually followed him. They were with him. That when he was tired, they were tired. Right? When they were in the place and Jesus had been preaching all day, they came to him and they said, Jesus, the people are hungry. And I'm thinking, you ain't worried about the people. You're hungry. Who are you kidding? And then what did Jesus do? He made them work. You feed them. So fellowship helps you. What's another thing that will help you to, to get the shovel out in your life? Praying in tongues. You want to move the debris in your life? Begin to pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. It will strengthen you. It will begin to move that junk out of the way. Dave Robertson used to say that the Holy Spirit is like a dimmer light, dimmer switch. 
right? You, you ever been in a room that's really dark, you're sleeping, and somebody wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning and turns the lights on? I've done that once or twice by accident. You turn the light on, and it's, it's like this searing burn in your eyes, right? It just, it just burns, right? Truth will do that to you. And so what the Holy Spirit does is he just turns it up a little bit. And then you pray in tongues and you begin to get used to it. And they'll turn it up just a little bit more. People say, well, Pastor, how much should I pray in tongues? All the time. All the time. I find myself doing it all the time anymore. It's just a, it's just a habit. It's a good habit. I was out there. The, the tree guy came and he was doing some work outside. I'm walking across the field praying in tongues. Make them open, Lord. I witnessed to him, of course. Right? When you pray in tongues, it moves the debris in your life. It begins to sort some things out. It doesn't happen easy. It's not always comfortable. When you're done with the shovel, you've got to get out the pick. You know the pick? It's on the end of the long handle. It's got a sharp point. And it drives into the deep places that the shovel won't get. And it breaks it up. See, you've got to be willing, if you're going to get to the goal, you've got to be willing to get the pick out. You've got to be willing to swing that pick and let it dig down on the inside of you. One of the things that does that is the word, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's why you got to have the word. See, when you read the word, it gets in there and it says, you know, you begin to twist things in the word. If you get into the word, that word will begin to get in there and it'll show you. No, no, no. That's your pride. We're going to cut that out. We'll do a little bit of surgery today and that pride's just going to get cut out a little bit. Doesn't feel good. That pick gets down on the inside. You're thinking, I'm not proud. Anyone ever said that? Most of the men probably have said it. I'm not proud. My wife would look at me and go, hmm? <laughs> right? But the word gets in there. That, that pick. It's, it's the Holy Spirit saying, Holy Spirit, have your way today in my life. Oh, it's a dangerous prayer. You know, we, when we say that, we think that the Holy Spirit's going to come and give us a piece of cake. But the Holy Spirit goes in there and goes, oh, look, Frank, he's, he's letting me loose in his life today. That stuff that's been bugging me, I'm going to start to go in there. <laughs> I'm going to begin to work on that. Why? Because he cuts so that he can bring healing. He doesn't cut to bring hurt. But he cuts so that he can bring healing. So that pick, you've got to be willing to get in there. The treasure's buried deep. And then when the, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the shovel's done and the pick's done and you get to the really hard stuff, that's when he breaks out the dynamite. And he'll spend all day, the Holy Spirit will spend all day drilling down inside there so he can put that dynamite right where it needs to go. Not for destruction, but so that he can begin to pull out of you the things that need to be pulled out. What's the dynamite in the Spirit? First one's fasting. I tell people all the time, I just can't get free. Fast. Oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it either. Lord tells me to fast, and I go, I think I'm hearing someone else. I don't think that's God. 
I go into prayer to make sure I'm hearing him. I don't like to fast any more than anyone else does. But when you fast, it does something inside. that It's like it, it, it goes deep on the inside because what you're saying is, God, I can't live this way anymore. I'm not doing this anymore, God. You've got to do something on the inside of me. And if I've got to put aside my food for a couple of days, if I've got to push that aside, turn my plate over, and begin to go in prayer, say, God, this guy right here needs some help, Father. You've got to dig on the inside. The pick's not doing it. The shovel's not doing it, God. Get that dynamite down on the inside because there's treasure on the inside that needs to begin to come out. You've got to be willing to, to do what it takes. See, it, 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 being a miner is not for the... Faint of heart. Thank you. That wasn't what I was thinking. No, I can't say that. Man, I want to say that. It just sounds so good. In my head, it sounds so good. And then in closing, we're going to get into communion. Our, 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 uh, the other part of dynamite is groaning in the spirit. Romans 8, 26. Bible says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray as we, thought, as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. All I can tell you is with personal experience, in those times when I'd been willing to get the shovel out, I'd been willing to get the pick out, I'd been willing to fast, I'd been willing to allow God to do what he wants to do. You won't come to this place on your own. He'll never force you. But when you're desperate enough for the things of God, that you're desperate enough for the changes that God wants to bring in your life, when you're tired of your life as it is, when you finally come to that place where you say, it's over, God, I'm not doing this anymore. Something has to change. And I remember the first time that ever happened to me, I was at my house down in Shreveport, Louisiana. They were somewhere. I don't remember where they were. But I was painting the front room. I was standing up on a ladder. And I was just in almost an intercession. I had to make sure that I was careful where I was painting. I'm going, God, i got to change. I can't do this anymore, God. I'm going crazy. And I remember the Holy Spirit began to get on me. I got off that ladder. I put my, my brush to the side. It, it ended up getting really hard. I didn't care. And I remember I got down and I began to pray in the Holy Ghost and say, God, do something on the inside of me. Father, it's time for this change to come. I was so desperate for God and all of a sudden, out of the inside, it's not contrived. You can't do it on your own. The Holy Spirit began to rise up on the inside of me. Groanings which cannot be uttered. All I can tell you, I, don't, I, I can't know what it sounds like. I, it just began to come on the inside. There was a breaking and the Holy Ghost was going deep, deep, deep. And he was going inside there and he began to stir that stuff up and get to that stuff that there was no other way to break. It says that when you don't know how to pray as you ought, he goes in and begins to intercede because you don't know. The biggest problem today is everybody thinks they know, but the Holy Spirit can come and begin to change those things on the inside that when you release him and you say, Father, allow me, just begin to do that work on the inside of me. And that groanings when it comes, when you hear somebody that goes into travail and into groaning it changes you his spirit just begins to come and move and when you allow him to do it on the inside of you he's going inside he's saying that's it I'm going to get the treasure I'm going to begin to release it on the inside of them I'm going to do an operation and begin to work and the power of God begins to flow oh I'm telling you there is nothing like it 
Don't be afraid to allow the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do. Find yourself a place that you can pray. Everybody should have some place, a prayer closet, a regular closet. I don't care what it is. Some place that you can go into and say, God, here I'm reporting to prayer this morning, God, because I'm tired of where I'm at. And you begin to go into God and allow Him to release it on the inside of your life. There was a point, and that, that very point where I knew the calling of God was real. I knew what God wanted to do. I had no idea how I could ever get into the call of God and what He had for me. I had no idea how I could ever begin to step into ministry. It was impossible. It could never happen. And yet it was in those groanings that He began to release the things of God and cause things to move out of the way. And it was a season where God just began to, to come in and say, that's it, it's time to do it. And He spread everything out of the way. And He began to move and release inside of me those treasures. There's treasures that are buried on the inside of you. But if you think that you're going to get them without a lot of work, without mining, without getting in there, without any pain, I can just tell you, you can be a surface Christian and that's better than nothing. But God wants to go inside of you and just like I preached last week, God is in heaven saying, who will go for me? Who can we send? But you can't be sent unless you're willing to allow him to do what he wants to do. And there is nothing greater than when God begins to move and release the treasure on the inside of you. Amen? Amen. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you're not saved. You've never given your life to Jesus. But today he's dealing with you. You want to get saved. You signify with an uplifted hand. Is there anyone at all? All across this building. Maybe you once walked with him, but somewhere along the line you turned aside. You got busy, you got tired, you got hurt. doesn't matter what it is. But the Holy Spirit's dealing with you about returning. And I mean really returning. About allowing the blood of Jesus to come, forgiveness to come. You're here and you're not saved and you're backslidden, but today you want to get your heart right. Just signify it with an uplifted hand before we move on in service. Is there anyone at all? All right, then I'm not going to do an altar call today because what I was preaching on is that you got to get in there and work. And my hands on your head aren't going to do that for you. It's a decision that you have to make. You trade your time for your future. Everybody in here has the ability, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll pray for you this morning, but you have the ability to spend time in His Spirit and to allow God to do the works on the inside, but only you can do it. It's your decision. It's not mine. I wish I could trade some of my time for you. I'd do it. God wants to move and He wants to challenge us. He wants to begin to do some mining in our hearts because activation is on the edge. God is there. He's saying it's time, it's time, it's time. But you've got to be willing to do the mining and go for the deep stuff. He put gifts inside of you that are worth his blood. you just got to be willing to go get them. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pastor Teresa is going to come and do communion. Amen. Here at New Destiny Christian Center, we have an open communion table. You just have to be born again. You must be born again. You must accept Jesus as your Savior. And if you're not, would highly encourage you not to partake of communion. In the scripture, when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, he gave his 
disciples some instructions because he desired to eat the Passover meal with them. It says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. If you know about what the Passover is, it's where the lamb was killed and they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the children of Israel when the tenth and final plague was coming through. And the Lord said, if there's blood on the doorpost, I will pass over your house and your firstborn will not die. And so here's Jesus getting ready to serve the Passover meal, knowing that he is the lamb that is about to die. And he wants his blood over the doorpost of our life. So they're preparing this. And he said to Peter and John, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to him, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. Even by faith, they obeyed Jesus. They saw a man carrying a pitcher, walked up to him and said, hey, uh, our master has need of the guest room. Where's it at? I don't know, that took faith. If you don't believe me, go to Wawa today. The first person you see, pour a cup of coffee. Say, hey, my boss has need of your house. They're going to think you're a nut. You do have to be a little radical to follow Jesus if you're really going to follow Jesus. So they did that. They have the room. Verse 14 says, When the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire... I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He knew he was about to go to the cross and what had been symbolism up to this point would really be his life. That the symbolism was going to turn into reality. He said, I've desired to eat this with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine or of this wine until the kingdom of God comes. And I'll just say right there, that's also why I do not drink any wine. I'm waiting for the Lamb of God to pour me that wine at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want him to pour it for me. He says, I'm not going to drink it again, the fruit of this vine, until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Again, speaking by faith, he had not died yet. And behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes, and it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom... He is betrayed. And obviously we know that was Judas. As I was thinking about this, and it's going to be an interesting spin on communion, Jesus provided everything at that table for everyone. You probably heard it before, even Judas ate. The whole time Jesus was the same, even to his betrayer. And isn't that amazing today that Jesus is still the same way 
because he still offers everything to every one of us. And yet some of us don't live for him. Some of us are the betrayer, but yet he still offers the same thing. And you've often heard it said the difference between Peter who denied him and Judas who betrayed him, there's really only one difference between them. One was repentance. The other was self-pity. So as we partake of this tonight, this morning rather, we're going to remember what he did for us. When Jesus gave his body, he was whipped so that we could be well. So think about it. It won't take any of us long to register what's wrong in our life. He was whipped so we could be well in that area, whether it's your emotions, your relationships, even your finances. Why? Because finances are only a fruit of something in here. Lack, poverty, or pride, career, ego, whatever the drivers are, the answer is Jesus. And he wanted to eat this Passover meal with his disciples, the closest people that they were doing life together with. And he said, I'm going to give my body for you, and I'm going to shed my blood. It's going to be poured out for you. And if you know Isaiah's account of it, Isaiah 58 said he was whipped, he was beaten, he was whipped so we could be whole. That's why it says, by your stripes, we were healed. The chastisement for our peace was laid upon him. He was beaten so we could have peace and reconciliation in our relationships and not strife and fighting. Did you know that when you come into Christ Jesus, that his will for you is not for you just to come to his house, not just to be at God's house this morning, but for you to take God home to your house, that your body becomes his house. And when he lives in you and you just begin to turn him loose and bring him to your house, you won't have a bunch of strife and fighting and all the bickering, all the hateful things that go on in a home. Why? Because you remember Christ, whose body was broken for you, whose blood was shed for you. You begin to live Christ in the home. He's at home in you, but also your physical address. That's his place. And why? Because the chastisement for our peace was laid upon him. That by your stripes, we were healed. And so I think it's important to remember communion. It's not something you do. This wafer does not turn into Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. It's symbolism. Jesus is alive and real, and he lives within you and I. And so we're going to this morning as a church body. And if you are right with the Lord, if you are not right with Jesus, please do not partake of communion because the Bible says not to. It says to take a moment, though, and to judge your heart. But if you know in your heart you've got unforgiveness, you know you've got some business to do with God, even if your parents are like, you better take that communion. You just be honest saying, I'm not right. I'm still mad at you. I need to make my heart right. I've got unforgiveness. Because the Bible says when you eat or drink in an unworthy manner, you eat and drink damnation upon yourself. Why? Because the price that he paid, the blood that he shed, when applied to the doorpost, that caused that angel of death to pass over because he couldn't touch what was inside because the blood is protective. You're doing it, what the scripture says, is trampling under your foot the sacrifice and the price of what he did. It's no big deal. For the sake of saving face in front of my church friends, I'll just take it anyway. He'll understand. No, I'm telling you, according to written word, he doesn't. We do it right 
because we do it the way the word says, not what we think the word says. Another portion in scripture, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 11, it says that when you take the Lord's Supper to basically judge your own heart. And so we're just going to take a few moments as, as Aaron plays. We're just going to have a few moments of silence. And you in your heart, ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything that I need to confess and repent of before you right now? And you can take care of it right there, right in your seat. If you want to come to the altar, you can do that. That's your... But right where you're at, you can take care of it. Is there some, something that needs to be dealt with? Do I have a wrong attitude? Am I in any unforgiveness, Jesus? I forgive them because I want to be forgiven. Just right there with your heart before the Lord. Jesus, we thank you for what you did for us. Thank you that you willingly gave your body. That your body was broken. It was whipped. It was beaten. The chastisement of our peace. In other words, all those relationships that we don't have peace in. All the brokenness. All the division and the strife. The unforgiveness. You made a way so that we could get out of that mess. And that's through receiving your forgiveness and also forgiving. So by an act of our will, Jesus, we forgive any that have sinned against us. We forgive ourselves and we ask to be forgiven so that we could honor the body of Christ. And we ask even in this corporate body that you keep us healthy with one another, that we keep no records of wrongs done, but Lord, we give a pardon, a blanket pardon of forgiveness because we honor the word, we honor your body, the body of Christ. So we thank you for what you did for your body, giving it for us so that we could be healed. I thank you that physical healing comes, emotional healing, healing in relationships come. So we thank you for your body. We bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may partake. Scripture goes on to say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Scripture also says that the blood speaks a better word. Revelation says, and they overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And there may be parts of your testimony where you need the blood of the lamb applied. And so we're just going to bless this cup. But as we pray, ask the Lord to just apply the blood of Jesus to the word of our testimony so that we can be overcomers in those areas that once defeated us. So Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for making your God our God. Thank you for everything it cost you to make your, your dad our real dad. Jesus, without you, none of this is possible to be right with God. You took the cup and you blessed it. And you said, this is my blood that is shed for you before you ever even did it. Because you knew what scripture said. That before the foundation of the earth, the lamb was slain. Before we ever sinned, the plan of redemption was in motion. We thank you for the blood, the blood of Jesus that causes us to overcome the devil. We ask that the blood would be applied to areas of our life, the word of our testimony, where there's been defeat. I ask that you would cover each and every person in here with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, their spirit, their soul, and their body, their past, their present, and their future days, or their coming and going. 
over their hands, establish the work of their hands for your glory. Let the blood of Jesus be applied to their doorposts of their life, of their homes, their marriages, their relationships, their children. Let the blood begin to speak a better word. We thank you for the shedding of your blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. We are washed clean of our sins because of the blood of Jesus. So we thank you. We bless the cup and we receive it in faith and thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. You may partake.